excited today. This is a, a Sunday in which we always look forward to when new people join the church. Although it is somebody new, but it's somebody that I know I've known since the first day uh, I got here when he was a middle school student, first in our very first youth group when we first came. Uh, so I'm excited to see Billy kind of grow and, and come to this place of, of joining Faith Fellowship Church. So Billy, come on up here on stage. So Billy's going to share a little bit of his story, and then we'll kind of go through uh, our member uh, thing. You can come in the middle. Come in the middle. There you go. Yes, it's always good. So go ahead and share kind of your... Yeah, sure. Okay. Can you all hear me? Excellent. So yeah, a lot of you already know me. I've been here many years, but if you don't, I'm Billy. I have the name tag, so you can just look at that. So yeah, my, uh, my story kind of goes like this. How many of you can remember a time in your life where you didn't really know God, or at least know of him? Because I really can't. I grew up in the church, this church actually. I remember like, some of my earliest memories are when this building was getting renovated after we bought it. I've been here a while. I, uh, I grew up in Sunday school here. I went to youth group here. As Seth said, I was part of the inaugural youth group when he first came here, which was a great time. And then, at, towards the end of middle school, my family ended up leaving Faith Fellowship. And that was, for me, a bit of a harder time. It was, I had to really, because I'd lost this community, I had to learn how to kind of rebuild that and adjust. And for a while, my relationship with God kind of suffered as a result. It wasn't like gone, but it was, it was not as alive as it had been in the past when I was younger. So that was a lot of my high school experience. But things ended up getting a little bit better over time as I grew and matured. And then a couple years after that, Seth actually ended up reaching out to my dad so that our families could reconnect. And we had a really good conversation and long story short, ended up attending FFC again. And since then, I've just been really welcomed back into this community and have, it's been a pleasure to be a part of it. And so eventually, again, I decided to be a member, but that gave me a chance to look back really on my entire life. And thinking about it, I really don't have a single moment like that completely changed or everything to me where I was like, okay, I gave my life to God on October 12th, 2007 at 1025 AM. I don't have that. But really looking back on the story of my life and the story of how God has worked in it. It's really a matter of God has always been there for me, and my life has been learning that he is there and being able to see him just more clearly day by day. Even before I was born, actually, 
my parents tried to conceive for the better part of a decade before I was actually born, me and my twin sister. Shortly after I was born, I had a whole bunch of health issues and that just were miraculously healed. Scoliosis was one of them that it just, the doctors couldn't explain it. It went away. Then I grew up through the church, as I said before, and then about five years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. But God took that away literally as quickly as I was diagnosed. So just looking back on everything, I was reminded of how God has just delivered me, and he's been there through me, and he's kept me alive in my very fragile existence. And so moving forward, I just, I want to get to really know him better and better, continue to grow in my faith. And that's really why I decided to become a member here. I take my relationship with God very seriously, and I take my relationship with his church very seriously. This has always been a home for me, so it's where I want to continue to learn and continue to grow and have an impact. So, yeah, that's really, that's my story. Thanks for listening, and you'll be seeing a lot more of me. All right. Don't go anywhere. All right. So we like to take this opportunity, and we're going to read through our, our purpose statement and some of the things that we commit to as uh, being members here at Faith Fellowship Church. So it's always kind of fun for you who have taken on membership here at Faith to review these things and to kind of recommit yourself to these things as well. I'm going to read these things together. And we know how well uh, reading together can often go in a group, but we're going to stay together. All right, so first we're going to start... Uh, with our purpose statement. So here we go. Let's read this all together. To bring people to Jesus and membership into his family, develop them to Christ-like maturity, and equip them for their ministry in the church and life mission in the world in order to magnify God's name. That was excellent, guys. All right. So let's continue on. If you've gone through members class, you've seen four things that in these things that we commit to as joining Faith Fellowship Church. Let's go through the first one here. It says, I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward other members. You can read along. Go ahead, read along. Follow along. By refusing to gossip and by following the leaders. All right, number two. I will share in the responsibilities of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched, by warmly welcoming those who visit, and by coming to fellowship events. All right, number three. I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve, by developing a servant's heart. And number four. I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, and by giving regularly. And Billy, I will ask, as you join, are these things that you commit to as being a member of Faith Fellowship Church? And if you do, say, I do. I do. All right, yes. I heard a clap. Give it up. We, on, on behalf of, of the elders, we would like to officially kind of welcome Billy, longtime member. And when he, I first came, it wasn't that long ago. He's like still in middle school, just trust me. And um, 
we welcome you to the family. So let me pray for us, and then make sure after the announcements you welcome him during stand and greet time. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Billy. We, we thank you for the opportunity he's had to attend here, uh, to serve here, to grow here at Faith, and we just ask now as he makes this commitment to, to being a member that we would just continue to see him grow and serve you, and, and we look forward to seeing how you continue uh, to use Billy here at Faith Fellowship Church, Lord. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Give it up for Billy. You can go ahead and if you could get that to the sound. All right. Well, we are approaching, it's hard to believe, the end of our Life of Christ series. Uh, I'm going to cover kind of the, the arrest and death of Jesus. Jim's going to continue on with the ascension and things of Jesus. And then we have kind of two more upper rooms that kind of look at Jesus in the future, in Acts and then later on um, in, in Revelation. Uh, and then it's hard to believe also, but that means we're getting closer to our Advent Christmas messages. It's right around the corner uh, before you know it. So uh, we are getting close to the end here with our life of Christ. So in this series, you know, we've heard various things about his teachings, about his miracles, uh, and, and all the things that he kind of accomplished here uh, on earth. So uh, before we kind of get started, I want to throw a question out to you, and I want you just to think about this today. I, I want us to think about, is this true? Is this reliable? All right. Amen. Let's close. Worship team, come on. No, I'm just kidding. We got so we'll get there, yes. But we're, we're going to see, in a way, I think, as we look at his death and as we look into the Old Testament, we're going to see the truth of scriptures. We're going to see why it's reliable and why we can trust the things that we see, what we read as we look at the story that is really seen from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we can say, I can trust this word. So why don't I open us for the word of prayer and we'll dive in for this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the worship team and the songs that they've prepared for us to lead us in worship and guide us uh, in a time of praise to you, Lord. Be with us now as we open your word as well and we worship through your word. And we ask that it would be a, a time of blessing, a time of challenging, and a time to look and upon and see just all that your word has revealed to us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've come to this point, we've, we've realized as Jesus has now entered into Jerusalem, he, they've come into the triumphal entry that we looked at a couple weeks ago, and they had these high expectations for Jesus of this coming kingdom that they thought was about to come at this time as he enters Jerusalem. And I want to put those ideas to the side because I want you to think about a, a movie that came out. It was a glorious year of 1999. It was the best graduating high school class that has ever been known to man. Hence, you know, I graduated high school in 1999. But at that time, a movie came out called The Sixth Sense. 
Anybody familiar with that movie? All right. Now, I kind of debated how much to reveal, because the movie's been out since 1999. If you haven't seen it yet, shame on you. But then there's a part of me that doesn't want to wreck the movie because it's a really awesome reveal that I don't want to wreck for you. So I'm going to go with the kind of not wreck it, but let you know there's a twist. Does that work for everybody? So if you're familiar with the movie, the whole movie, as you watch it, has you thinking the plot is going a certain direction. That it's going one way as you watch this movie. And then in one little moment, everything you thought about the movie and about the plot changes. But in the moment it changes, it gives you a little bit of flashbacks. And in those flashbacks, it tells you that you really should have seen this coming the entire time. Which is why I don't want to wreck it, because when you watch it, you'll kind of see it. Now you'll be so intrigued. Now, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't know what it was rated, but uh, I, can't, I guess I won't put the complete pastor seal upon approval upon. That's always the dangerous thing with movies. But it was 1999. It was a different time. So, but it was going that way, and in a moment it changed. And as I thought about that, I, I thought about the life of Jesus. Because the disciples had this thing going one way. They thought Jesus and his life was going in a certain direction. The kingdom. He's going to come and destroy the Romans. But then in one moment, that idea changes. But, as we'll see today in those flashbacks that were slimmer to that movie... They should have seen there was a plan that God had laid out from the beginning the entire time for the Messiah. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. They didn't realize that a Messiah would have to come and die. That he would be ridiculed and looked upon and spit upon and beaten. So, as we look now back to that triumphal entry... Remember, he comes in with, with great praises and worship as he comes in. They have these expectations, but then he doesn't live up to them. One of his own sets a plan during that week to, to betray him. And at various moments, the, the, the Jewish leaders in this week are finally reaching the point that they've been building toward. They'll finally get their moment to kill Jesus. Later on in that week, on Thursday, Jesus is going to sit down with his disciples for a last meal, the last supper. He's going to predict Peter's denial. He's going to institute the bread and the cup, which we'll look at a little bit later. But then as they leave, they go to the garden. They go to the garden of Gethsemane, and it's here that Jesus prays. He is praying and sweating drops like blood and saying, if there is another way for this punishment to happen, let, let it pass. But we're told that as this moment, as he prays, he knows and he's known the entire time why he came to the earth for the very first time, to accomplish God's will. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he is completely focused on the cross. Now, at some point in this, while they're praying and it's, quiet in the garden, 
there begins to be a little bit of rustling, probably. Maybe some metal hitting on shields, some swords kind of hitting on people's legs as these soldiers walk. And there's the sound of these soldiers walking through the garden led by Judas. And they're getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And at some point, he is betrayed with a kiss and he is locked in chains and led out of the garden. Jesus, now bound with chains, is led like a prisoner. And over this time, he's going to face various questions from the Jewish leaders. He's going to face questions about the miracles that he's performed, the healings he's done, the teachings that he's had. And at some point, it comes to this climax in Matthew 26. And I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 62. And it says, And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjoin you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and says, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some of them slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is it that hit you? It's always like a hard passage to read, isn't it? When we think about our Christ Jesus going through and suffering in the ways, the very men that he helped create now spitting and hitting him in the face. So after some back and forth, remember, they sent him to Pilate because the Jews couldn't kill him, but they needed the Romans to carry out this punishment, and Pilate finds himself right in a, in a, a very tough position. He, he knows that he finds no reason to kill Jesus, and these are the words from Mark 15, beginning in verse 6. It says, Now at the feast, he used to release to them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in the prison, one who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he would usually do for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them, having scourged Jesus, who delivered him to be crucified. He tries his best, right, to free him. And as he has this thing over the Passover, he says, it's, it's common for me to release to you one of your prisoners. And I can almost think of it in Pilate's mind. He's thinking, you know what, I'll find somebody that there's no way the Jews would want to release to them. So he picks Barabbas, someone who has been a murderer. And he says, there's no way probably they're going to pick Jesus over this guy. But we hear that the chief priest stirred up the people and had them release Barabbas and then sentence Jesus to die. 
A crown of thorns is placed upon his head. Nails will go through his hands, nails through his feet, and he will be raised up on the cross for all to see. And then the story continues in Mark 15 and verse 33, and it says, When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom when the centurion stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly this man was the son of God. So here we have the death of Jesus. We have those who have gathered around him now returning to their homes. We think about this, as all his disciples except for John have even left him. The ones who spent three years with him in ministry thinking to themselves, this, this wasn't what we expected was going to happen here. This was not the ending. We didn't expect Messiah to be murdered on a cross. And you see now how I think about that movie, The Sixth Sense. It all goes one way and you don't expect it, but we're going to see this whole time that this really was what the plan was from the beginning. And that's what allows us to see that we can trust and rely on the Word of God. You see, it all begins with one verse, and it's a great verse in Luke chapter 24. And it's not just a great verse because it was the theme verse for Emmaus Bible College, but it's a great verse that explains all of Scripture to us. So let's read here and follow along with Luke 24, verse 27. And it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the Scriptures the things concerning himself. See, in the context here, remember, Jesus is post-resurrection now, and he's walking with these disciples who don't recognize him. And as he's having this communication with them, he's unfolding the law. He's unfolding the prophets and saying how all of those things points to himself and, and points to the Messiah. And these people realize as he's walking that their hearts were like burning as he said these things because they were realizing all these truths that were being revealed to them. That all of Scripture was pointing to the cornerstone in Jesus Christ and the life that he lived, the death that he would, and the life that he would have after that death. Let me read some other passages that kind of bring this into our mindset about his arrest and death. Look at Mark 14, 49. Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. As he's getting arrested, but he says, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Arrest me for the sake of the scriptures to be fulfilled. Then in Matthew 26, in beginning in verse 55, it says, at that hour Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as a, against me with a, as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching you, but you did not seize me. Verse 56, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. 
And as you read through the, the gospel in Matthew, over and over you're going to see that phrase, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And what he's doing is connecting Jesus with the Old Testament and saying this promised Messiah who was promised to come, he's here. These are the things that our scriptures said would happen. So let's think about some of these things from the Old Testament. It talks about the, the kingdom of David lasting forever. And that's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It talks about establishing the kingdom of, of David forever. And then in Matthew 1.1, it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David. It talks about in the Old Testament that the virgin will be with child. We see that in Isaiah 7.14, that the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. We understand as the angel comes to Mary. That's one of the questions she has. She says, I am but a virgin. How can this be? We see even in his birth that Messiah will dwell in Egypt. In Hosea, it talks about God calling his son out of Egypt. And then in Matthew chapter 2, it, it says, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, Joseph, talking about here, by night and departing to Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. Here it is, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. All these things being prophesied and spoken about with our Lord Jesus Christ. We also see that he would teach using parables. That's what we've been doing in the upper rooms, right? Going through his parables. And in Psalm 78, it talks about how he will speak to the people through parables. All these things written hundreds of years before Christ, allowing us to see the one story that is flowing through this book. And then we come specifically to the thing we're looking at today, his arrest and his death. And we think about Psalm 22, verse 1, that Jesus would be forsaken, the Messiah would be forsaken. It says the very words of him on the cross, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22, it talks about how his hands and his feet would be pierced. Crucifixion wasn't even a thing when that was written in the book of Psalms. But here it is being laid out for us in Jesus Christ. And then we have one of the most famous passages, and we even sang it this morning as you think about Isaiah 53 and all the things that it lays out for us in those scriptures. It, it talks about in verse 2 that he grew up before us like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. In verse 3, it's going to say, it says, he was despised, rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It goes on in verse 4, and it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And then in verse 5 it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities or sins, depending on the translation you grew up with. It says the chastisement that brought him his peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
all these verses laying out for us saying, look, there is a life that Messiah is going to live. He's not going to come and be this reigning king and defeat the Romans. First, he's going to deal with this, this death of sin. And he's going to come again and rule, yes, but in his first coming, he's not coming to destroy the Romans. In his first coming, he's coming to reunite man with God, to take that punishment upon the cross so that we can find forgiveness for those who believe. And that's just a small sample of what you see in the Old Testament predicting about the Messiah that was to come. So today, we're even going to take a, a deeper look into the beginning of that Luke 24, 27 passage. And we're going to look at that first part, Moses. And, and for that, we're going to take a look into the book of Exodus. So let's get some quick historical context as we dive into Exodus. Remember, we have Jacob and his 12 sons. His favorite is Joseph. The brothers want to kill him, so they end up not killing him, and they're just selling him into slavery, and eventually he ends up in Egypt. Through various events, Joseph will become kind of second in command in Egypt. Uh, a pharaoh is going to now come to power, though, after hundreds of years, who doesn't remember this story. He's going to see the, the great number of Israelites and say, man, if, these, if they rose up against us, they would conquer us. Kind of like maybe teachers feel that if these kids got together, they would destroy us if they just bound together. Or maybe parents, when you're outnumbered, find like, we're in trouble. But this is what he has, and he says, we're going to put them in slavery. We're going to make them work hard. But they keep going on, and they keep multiplying, and eventually they get this idea to, to kill off the Israelite baby boys. And Moses comes onto the scene, Right? And Moses gets this vision of a, of a burning bush. Tells him, God tells him that I'm going to use you to free my people. Go before Pharaoh. So Moses and his brother go before Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, he says, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to make sure you're with us. So yeah, he says no and goes through all these things. And then plagues come upon the land, right? And when you look at these plagues, every single one directly attacks the gods of the Egyptians. But then, after all this snow, we get one final plague. And it's this final plague, the death of the firstborn, that we read about in Exodus chapter 11. It says this, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor will ever be again. It's going to be a, a terrible day for the land of Egypt. But God provides salvation for his people. We understand that they were to take a lamb, and not just any lamb, but a lamb without defect. They were to kill this lamb at twilight and then take the blood and paint it on the doorposts of their house. 
And then they are told that this will be a, a remembrance feast that they are to do yearly as they reflect on all the Lord had done for them. So the angel of death comes and kills the firstborn throughout Egypt, except for those that have their house covered by the blood. And it is those houses that they would pass over and not kill the firstborn. See, this is a great event that leads to the, the freedom from bondage for the Jewish people, but allows them to head towards their promised land. But see, if that was just a story, it's great. But we realize as we look to the New Testament, there's a bigger picture behind what is happening here than just the salvation of the Jewish people. And that's what the story we want to look at today. This is probably the story that was revealed to those disciples on that road to Emmaus, of how Moses in this event was pointing towards the salvation of a future Messiah. Christ is the cornerstone, the center of all scripture, and let's see how this Passover would point to the coming Messiah. We think first about the Passover lamb, the, the lamb who was slaughtered. In 1 Corinthians 5-7, Paul writes this. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. John the Baptist, as he is seeing Jesus come toward him for his baptism, recognizes Jesus. And he says these words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter will go on in, in 1 Peter in, in chapter 1 and say, talking about the blood of Christ, he says, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So, so this perfect Passover lamb who had to be selected, who had to be killed and have their blood painted upon the doorpost. We are told in the New Testament that Christ is our Passover lamb, that he is the, the perfect, without blemish, lamb who was slain. And in Hebrews 4.15, it says that he is, remember, tempted in every way, but without sin. And then we think about it and reflect why Jesus was in Jerusalem for the very thing that led to the crucifixion. They were there to celebrate Passover. All this aligning for what the Messiah was to do. But it's not just the lamb, as I said before, it's also the blood. The head of the household was to slaughter this lamb making sure that none of its bones were broken, and then paint that on the doorpost. And when the angel saw the blood on the doorpost, it would go and leave, passing over that house. See, the Bible says that believers, we have the sacrificial blood of Christ on our hearts, and we have escaped eternal death. In Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 12, it says, He entered once and for all, into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Verse 14, it says, How much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And just as the Passover lamb's blood 
was applied to the household, the blood of Christ is applied to us. Although the blood wasn't painted on doorposts, the blood was painted upon a cross. A cross that provides forgiveness because we deserve death. In Romans it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You see, blood was important for sacrifices. Blood must be shed for forgiveness. But instead of our blood being shed, it was this blood of Christ, our Passover lamb, who was shed for us. So we see that he is the lamb. We see that he is, his blood covers us. And then we see deliverance and redemption. And in the same way that the nation of Israel was going to be freed from slavery because of this, because of the death of Jesus on the cross, we are freed from the slavery of sin. We are no longer bound by the sin in our lives. We have the freedom in Christ. Paul talks about the, the struggling with sin that we have in our lives. But he says that we are made new in Christ. It is the blood of Christ that frees us from the bondage of slavery of sin. This is what Paul writes to us. The writers of the New Testament are constantly calling themselves slaves to Jesus Christ or slaves to God or, or slaves to God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over saying, I am not bound to the sin of this world. I am bound to Christ. John writes for us in 834 and he says, Jesus answered them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It's a tough place to be in our lives when we think about that bondage that we have in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 8 gives us the good news in saying that we have been set free from sin, having been slaves now of righteousness. When we come to Christ in repentance, we receive forgiveness of sin. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit who comes to live within our lives. And it is by his power that we are able to resist sin to not become slaves to sin, but instead become slaves to God and his righteousness. Now, this doesn't mean that we become perfect in any way. We all have our struggles. But as it says, we try to not be sinless, but to sin less. We would hate the sin in our lives and know that if we have the spirit within us, that we can resist that pull in our lives. We don't want to be bound. We want to have that freedom. And that's where Israel was. They were in a place of bondage in Israel, now coming to a place of promise in the promised land. In the same way, we are bound in our sins, but seeking a newness in life in Jesus Christ. And the last thing that we see here is communion and remembrance. In the same way that the nation of Israel well, it was to remember this event for them. We are to remember the death of Christ for our lives. See, one of the things that you go through the Old Testament, you realize kind of how much you don't see the Passover being celebrated by the nation of Israel. There's a few instances here and there when they find the law and they realize they've messed up, that they celebrate the Passover, but there's only maybe a handful of instances in the entire Old Testament after this of them celebrating the Passover. You know, they forget what the Lord had done for them. 
But God wants us to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And that is why we have our upper room services, a, a time to remember. Jesus says, remember my body which was broken in the bread. Remember the blood that is spilled in the cup. And he says that you do this in remembrance of me, to remember all that I have done for you. But what's cool in that passage, it says that by doing this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Which means just in the same way there was prophecy in the Old Testament about Messiah coming, there is more prophecy for us today knowing that he is coming back. And that's where we find ourselves living in a way of remembrance until he comes back. Uh, until he now comes back as that ruling king and sets up that long-awaited kingdom in which we live with him forever in eternity. That is what we want to remember. That is what we want to reflect on. I want to invite the worship team to come back as we get ready for a time of, of closing. And as we think about this coming back, we think about that when he comes back, there's going to be no doubt. The first time they were confused. The first time they got it wrong. But when he comes back this time, there is going to be no doubt the second time that he is who he is. Now there's going to be, it tells us, false prophets that arise. But when somebody appears in the clouds, I don't think there's any doubt who that's going to be. And it's going to be our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as we think about this idea of Jesus being this Passover lamb. Recently, our, our middle school students were going through the story of the Bible and seeing how the Bible is this one strong theme. And I wrote about this in a devotional a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to just quickly share the story again with you guys. We're going through this idea of sacrifice, of these innocent lambs being slaughtered, and one of the students speaks up and says, that's not fair. That, that, that lamb didn't do anything wrong. Why does it deserve to die? And every single one of us in the room said, exactly. Because see, then she got the picture of what it was meant in the Old Testament to be in the New Testament of an innocent Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb who was slaughtered for what we deserve. And when we realize this, when we realize the Passover, when we realize the prophecies, we can look to Scripture and say, this is true. This is reliable. God has laid out this plan from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation. And we can see our God and how great He is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? And we'll close with one final song.